Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today on Inside Politics, a CNN exclusive. We have a new poll out this hour revealing how voters feel about Donald Trump's multiple legal battles as the former president's delay tactics appear to be working on several criminal cases. Plus, kill the bill. That's how the House GOP are arguing that what needs to happen in the United States Senate after leaders there unveiled the most substantial bipartisan border bill that we have seen in decades. Now, the Republican who negotiated that deal is calling out his own party for trying to torpedo it even before reading it. And replacing George Santos, Early voting is underway in the special election that could have major implications for the balance of power in the House. We're going to bring you the latest from the campaign trail. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. First up, our CNN exclusive poll. CNN's David Chalian is at the wall to reveal the latest results. David, what are we seeing? Yeah, well, Dana, uh, we asked folks about the Trump trials and we said, should the federal trial, specifically the Jack Smith trial about election uh, subversion be resolved before the 2024 election? 48% of Americans in our poll say yes, it's essential they know a verdict in this case before the election. 16% said yes, not essential. So a majority of Americans want to see a verdict here in the federal election case uh, before the election. 25%, a quarter of Americans say it doesn't matter. And look at this by party, Dana. 75% of Democrats, of course, say it's essential. 52% of independents say it is essential they have a verdict. Even 20% of Republicans say it's essential for a verdict. And we know the judge in that case actually just vacated the March 4th start date in that trial. So this is about sort of the process and whether or not uh, we need to know how the process plays out and ends. The other question, obviously, is the former president's actions, what he's alleged to have done. So this is a question we've been asking for some time. Do you think what he did after the 2020 election was illegal, unethical, not wrong at all? 45% of Americans in our brand new poll say it's illegal what he did. 32% say unethical, but not illegal. 23%, 23% of Americans said he did nothing wrong at all after uh, the 2020 election. And if you look at this by party over time, the country is locked in on this judgment. We asked this a year and a half ago. You see Democrats are consistently, overwhelmingly saying it was illegal. Independents, about 45% say it's illegal. And you see here Republicans, uh, 11, 10% do not believe it was illegal, or only 10 or 11% believe it was illegal. So you see how locked in Americans are on this issue. That is really, really remarkable. Anything else that you can tell us about uh, the way that voters just sort of view the process in general? Well, or the specifically, and what do you expect will happen Um, when the results are made clear to the American public in the 2024 election? Will a candidate concede? Look at this mirror image of how Americans think this will play out. 76% of Americans in our poll say, yeah, Joe Biden will concede if he loses the election. 23% say he won't. Complete flip. 
for Donald Trump. The expectation among three quarters of Americans, Dan, to say he will not concede if he loses the election. And what about the trust in the Supreme Court to decide some of these election issues? Only 11% of Americans say they have a great deal of trust in this Supreme Court, 31% a moderate amount. As you see down here, a quarter of Americans have no trust at all. And you can imagine by party, Republicans have a little more trust in this Supreme Court than do Democrats, given the partisan balance on the court. Such fascinating numbers, David. Stick around. Uh, before we talk more about this, I want our viewers to see what the only remaining Republican candidate running against Donald Trump said to me on State of the Union yesterday about all of these court cases that Donald Trump is facing. He hasn't even gotten started on all these cases. For the next year, he's going to be sitting in a courtroom. I didn't say that. He said that he's going to be spending more time in a courtroom than he is going to be campaigning. So is it your hope That's that there problem. are verdicts before the convention? Well, it's my hope that I think that the American people deserve to know which of these cases are legitimate and which ones aren't. You know, he's going to have another one, I think, in March. I think he's going to have more in April and May. I think the American people deserve to know what the situation's going to be. But, you know, the court system's going to play out the way it is. He has the right to defend himself. But at the same time, you know, I think it speaks for himself that he's saying he's going to be spending more time in a courtroom than he's going to be spending on the campaign trail. Here with me to share their insights and expertise, CNN's Manu Raju, NPR's Aisha Roscoe, and David Weigel of uh, the Semaphore. Forgive me. I'm back. I'm back in uh, in time here. Uh, I was going to say the Washington Post. Yeah. Thank you so much. And of course, David Chalian is at the table with us. Uh, David, you, you just gave us some of the sort of the headlines with the poll. I want to add one other element. And that is the question of if he's reelected, what voters think Donald Trump will try to do with that other term. And these issues are pretty interesting. Mass, de uh, mass deportation of undocumented immigrants. I mean, these are issues he has promised. Right. right? Yes. Yeah. But but the question. Keep going. Correct, Sorry. If I'm wrong. Just, no, no. But correct me if I'm wrong. It's a question of whether he will follow through. Exactly. On that. Exactly. Um, fire federal workers you know, 82%. And then the list goes on again. It well, except repeal and replace Obamacare, 77% think that he's going to do that. Mm, Didn't work so well the first I'm time. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. <laughs> but what's your takeaway of the way that the people who responded to this poll view the ability of Donald Trump to make good on his promise. So remember, Americans have already lived through four years of a Trump administration, mm -hmm. right? And so the fact that I think when you look at that whole list, three quarters of Americans at least, and then sometimes much higher than that, um, are taking him at his word. They are taking him uh, both literally and seriously that what he is going to, that what he's promising, he's going to execute on. What is interesting, Dana, we also asked, should he do these things? And of course, you get an entirely different reaction, specifically uh, the three least popular things, pardoning himself, pardoning the folks that are behind bars for January 6 related crimes, um, and using the Justice Department to go after his political enemies. That is woefully unpopular. Uh, majority of Americans do not think he should be pursuing that. And even half of Republicans, roughly, don't believe he should be doing those three things. Manu, I want to just go back to where we started with these new uh, poll results about how people view the, um, the legal trouble that the leading presidential candidate is in in their party and how that is playing out with the people who you talk to every day on Capitol Hill. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's, I thought that number that you guys talked about, in particular, 52% believe that it's essential of independent voters uh -huh. that this should actually be down before the election. Mm -hmm. I mean, the federal case could very well not be done before the election. Really, the only one that seems likely is the New York hush money case, which is widely seen as sort of the weakest of the four criminal charges. So how does that actually ultimately play out? What's been so, what's been very revelatory in the months and months since Donald Trump has been charged with all this is that his opponents have not really seized on any of the underlying issues, the allegations, mm -hmm. the evidence. Not at all. Not at all. Biden hasn't because they don't want to look like they're tainting this in any way. And Nikki Haley, your interview right there, very clearly, she's trying to make an argument that he's distracted and the like, not about specific and very serious charges. And as a result, there's a vacuum, and Donald Trump fills that vacuum and is able to shape the narrative. You know, I think that what we have to really remember and drill home on is the fact that this is a this is someone who's running for president and really running to stay out of jail mm. like that. I mean, that you can legitimately say that. And I think sometimes you can get, you know, lost in, you know, in the, the, the trees and, and miss the forest. But the fact is, if he does not win reelection or win be elected again, he could very possibly be in jail. Right? Like, so that is part of his decision making when it comes to running. And that will also be his part of his decision making when it comes to whether he will concede yeah. the election. David, I want you to listen to what the former president said over the weekend about the RNC chair. It's pretty stunning how blunt he was. How's Ron McDaniel doing? Uh, I think she did great when she ran Michigan for me. I think she did okay initially in the RNC. I would say right now uh, there'll probably be some changes made. She's been, I mean, she's, it's been the biggest challenge walking the line uh, with Donald Trump, but given everything that's happened, I mean, it's hard to think of anybody who could be more, more loyal and still be uh, in charge of the party writ large. Right, which is not a guarantee of keeping your job if you're working for Donald Trump or working on, on his behest. No, I, I was in Vegas for the start of the RNC meeting. There was a Turning Point USA conservative conference before the RNC meeting. A theme of it, and speakers like Steve Bannon were there, Donald Trump Jr., a theme of this was the RNC did not do enough to set Donald Trump up for a successful election. Uh, one of the RNC members from Arizona said, look at all that money wasted on the primary. Imagine if that was being used to set up Donald Trump to run against Joe Biden. They're frustrated with Ryan McDaniel, who just two weeks ago was saying primary is over, Trump should be the nominee. They're frustrated with her for not doing more to cancel the opposition to Donald Trump and get in line with the Republican base, which is baked in that Donald Trump is going to be in legal trouble, but says that is all BS and the party should be supporting him. The fact that he's in legal trouble, the fact that he has opponents criticizing him means he's strong and the globalists hate him. It's all, it's all there and it's only about a third of the RNC that agrees with that message, mm -hmm. but if Trump is the nominee, he gets to pull out whoever yep. he wants or layer them with somebody else. And you That's remember it. Ramaswamy called yeah. for her firing That's on right. the debate stage. That's right. yeah. There's a reason that he, Trump is tapping into something he understands is in that swath of the party. Yes, who can we blame that's not Donald Trump for the party not winning as much as we Well, want? he has vanquished all of his mm -hmm. uh, opponents except one, and mm -hmm. uh, that's Nikki Haley. And she just reported a, according to her campaign, $16.5 million fundraising haul just in January, they announced that. That's not nothing. And um, she obviously is right now. I mean, we've said this before, and I think it's important to underscore this. Usually when candidates drop out, they do it because they don't have money. Mm -hmm. That's not the case with her. And so the question is whether or not she is going to drop out because she doesn't want to be embarrassed in her home state 
or if there are other reasons, not because she can't fuel her campaign yeah. with funds. And again, there is a sizable amount, yes, it's a fraction of the party, but still a sizable amount of anti-Trump Republicans. And that is the hope for the Biden team, of course, is trying to peel them to their side, not have them sit out the election or, or, is, or not, have, of course, vote for the Republican nominee. But can she sustain loss after loss after loss? She's going to lose Nevada this week. She's not even competing there. She, the polls are looking very bleak for her in her home state. Can she make it to Super Tuesday? Perhaps money to do it, but you know, does she want to do that? One thing that is noteworthy is, and you see this on any campaign with candidates who stay in long enough, they learn. Mm -hmm. And she stepped in it a little bit this past week, last week. She told Charlemagne the God that if Texas decides they want to do that, they can do it, referring to the notion of seceding from the union. I pushed her on that on State of the Union and she changed course. No, according to the Constitution, they can't. What I do think they have the right to do is have the power to protect themselves and do all that. Texas has talk about, talked about seceding for a long time. The Constitution doesn't allow for that. She also uh, played cleanup while having, uh, looked like having a great time on SNL uh, <laughs> la Saturday night, I should say. Let's look at a clip from that. I was just curious, what would you say was the main cause of the Civil War? Um, and do you think it starts with an S and ends with a lavery? <laughs> yep, I probably should have said that the first time. David. As you said, candidates learn. And one of the things you learn, using humor to uh, correct some of your past mistakes. Clearly, she did that with the SNL appearance. That was almost a month ago, and we're still talking about it. That also shows you how that's yeah. penetrated. That and it was also gap. Trump who first said, I would just said slavery. So now, <laughs> three weeks later, yeah, right. see, SNL can say it. So now yeah. it's received wisdom. All right, guys, stand by. Coming up, the bipartisan border bill that's kicking up a huge fight inside the GOP. What's in the bill and why Republicans are trying to kill their best chance in years to actually act on policy. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. After months of negotiations, the text of the bipartisan Senate border bill is now public and 
top House Republicans are already saying it is dead on arrival. I want to get straight to uh, first and look at what Steve Scalise said. He said that the bill will not receive a vote in the House, and that is uh, being emphasized beyond Steve Scalise right now. Justin, we have uh, a new statement from the broader House Republican leadership, and I want to get straight to Lauren Fox on Capitol Hill. Lauren, give us a sense not only of what's in the bill, but what we just heard moments ago from House GOP leaders. Yeah, I want to start with this new letter, Dana, because it is the most specific criticism that I've seen yet from House Republican leaders. They are really going point by point in this new statement, arguing why the Senate bill is not enough. And I think it's coming after some Republicans are getting a lot of heat because they came out so swiftly against this bill when it was released last night. You heard basically Lankford arguing, you know, they were a little fast to make clear that they were opposed to it, given the fact that this was a really long bill and perhaps they hadn't read every single page but i want to read from you just part of this statement they say quote house republicans oppose the senate immigration bill because it fails in every policy area needed to secure our border and it would actually incentivize more illegal immigration specifically they go after the fact they say parole and the president's use of parole is not cracked down on enough in this bill they also say that the asylum process is not reformed broadly enough, I should note that this bill makes broad and substantial changes to the way that people who are coming into this country and seeking asylum would be processed. They make that that whole process much faster. What they also do in this bill is they make it much harder to even get started in the system by raising the credible fear threshold at the beginning of the process to make it so that many immigrants who are seeking asylum, if they don't pass, they actually get sent back much more quickly, Dana. Really uh, fascinating what is going on inside the GOP on this issue. Lauren, thank you so much for that reporting. The panel is back here. Um, <clears throat> I just want to read a little bit more uh, as we were in the commercial break as we got this statement. And Mano, you picked up on this at the end of the House GOP leadership statement. They say any consideration of this Senate bill in its current form is a waste of time. It is dead, capital D-E-A-D, -E on arrival in the House. We encourage the U.S. Senate to reject it. Do you think it's possible they will now? I do. I think that the, is trending in the absolute wrong direction for proponents of this bill. They need 60 votes on Wednesday to surpass a filibuster attempt. It's a 51-49 Senate. We, can, we expect already a handful, if not more, Democrats to come out against it, which means they need a sizable amount of Republicans. And right now, it appears that they're on track to losing a majority of their conference. I mean, the goal initially by these negotiators to try to get a majority of Senate Republicans behind this plan. That does, it seems very unlikely amid the opposition of the House, amid the opposition from Donald Trump, and the fact that the conservatives, a lot of conservatives are coming out very strongly against it. The tough vote would be to advance it. And a very telling notion this morning was the John Cornyn, a Texas Republican, close to Mitch McConnell, come out, came out and said that he has, quote, serious concerns about this. He didn't express, express them what, what those concerns are. But a lot of these concerns, Dan, let's be frank, they were... They were concerned about it. They said they were going to kill it before this bill came out. The House Republicans wanted to kill it before this yeah. came out, before they saw any of the details. Why? Because it's a good campaign issue for Trump. And he's pretty explicit about it. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, you have the Republicans who have been in deep, deep negotiations for months, uh, led by uh, Jim Lankford of Oklahoma, 
you can hear the frustration in their voice. Listen to what he said this morning about his fellow Republicans. Do I want everyone in the country, unlimited numbers, what we have now, or do we want to have a faster, stronger system that we're actually deporting people? Are we as Republicans going to have press conferences and complain the border's bad and then intentionally leave it open? After the worst month in American history in December, now we've got to actually determine, are we going to just complain about things or are we going to actually address and to change as many things as we can? I mean, that really is the fundamental issue. And it is that the border the broader immigration laws in America have been broken for decades. Uh, Congress has gone up to the brink and it's fallen apart because of political reasons more times than we can count. We've all covered it. And yeah, I mean, in this letter, the House Republican leaders say it doesn't go far enough. Isn't that what happens with compromise? Things don't go as far as they should. And Lauren was saying it does expedite the asylum process. It raises the standard for asylum seekers. Is it what Republicans would write if they had total control of government? No, but this is the government they have. You know, I mean, it's, it's never politically expedient enough to really deal with the issue of immigration. And it's really this thing that often just blows up in the lawmakers' faces. You try to do the compromise or whatever it is, and then on both sides, you are villainized, and then you oftentimes are voted out of office. We've seen this over and over again. Like, it is an issue that works when there are press conferences and when you can stand at the border and yell, but it's not an issue that works when you have to do the hard thing and, and actually change the system because you're not going to be able to please everybody. So that's why it just keeps going and going. And you, you have been talking about it for weeks, but we have to emphasize it over and over as this really gets to crunch time. This is about Donald Trump and Donald Trump saying, do not do this. A, it's better politics for me on the campaign trail. And B, I don't want to give Joe Biden a win, which is how he sees it politically. I talked to Nikki Haley about this yesterday. Here's what she said. He shouldn't be getting involved telling Republicans that wait until the election because we don't want this to help Biden win. We can't wait one more day. You have millions of people who've come to that border. They are not being vetted. America's acting like it's September 10th. We better remember what September 12th felt like because it only takes one. This is not a time to play politics. Is he? What I do think is they need to get something out. Of course he is. He's absolutely playing politics by telling them not to do anything. Yes, well, Trump is conveying what a lot of Republicans think and have said. Troy Nels is saying a few days ago, uh, I think to Manu, uh, that Trump, uh, that the president is polling in the 30s and why we want to change that for him. And we've been here before. In 2007, there is a progress towards immigration compromise, and then Democrats say we're going to do better if we win the election. 2013 14, same thing happens to Republicans. Uh, uh, we feel like we're going to win the election. They do win the Senate in 2014, running against immigration. The incentives are just not there for a compromise here. And the, the political discussion is great for Trump because it is not about why, why are some people showing up at the border getting sent to, uh, to northern states. I think if you walk on the street and ask people, they'd say, well, there's no wall. It's not because there's a wall. It's because they're, they're applying for asylum. And that okay. conversation, having just come off the trail, hopefully getting back on the trail, with talking to voters, that's not in there at all. So Trump is in a, yeah. in a great information environment where people think he, when he was there, fewer, uh, fewer foot, few, less footage of immigrants crossing the border. He'll come back. He'll fix it. That's all he needs to that do. That is such a good point. Mm -hmm. it, historically, before the latest uh, crisis, right, people who are coming illegally across the border uh, tried to avoid 
border patrol agents. Mm. Now they're going towards the border. They want to mm. find the border patrol agents because they're applying for asylum, yeah. which is why that was a major part of the focus in this um, maybe elevated yeah. deal. And, and this deal, this deal would actually require the department to turn away those migrants in between ports of entry when it exceeds 5,000 apprehensions over a week span average. That 5,000 number has been seized upon by the Republican opponents here. But what's been remarkable on the political front, they used to be united on this, Republicans. They are now bitterly divided about this. And Langford is someone who does not get very worked up. He's very critical about how this is playing out. You know, Mike Johnson has been saying the last several days, he was shut out of the Senate negotiations. I asked Langford about this yesterday. He said that, in fact, the speaker was invited to participate in these talks. But the speaker said his house has already spoken. We've acted on our own bill, H.R. 2. That bill, of course, is a non-starter among Democrats. And as a result, the senators tried to do their own thing. And now Johnson's criticizing. I think the technical term is plausible deniability. (laughs) That's right. Um, I don't want to, this is mostly a Republican issue. Mm -hmm. But there are differences on the Democrats. Democratic side, too. Uh, Senator Padilla, Alex Padilla of California, said the deal includes a new version of a failed Trump era immigration policy that will cause more chaos at the border, not less. It is in conflict with our international treaties and obligations to provide people with the opportunity to seek asylum. So he's against it. Yeah, I mean, and that and the left. This, yeah, I mean, so the, that is going to be an issue with people who feel like, look, there, there are people who are coming to this country. We have international obligations. People are fleeing their countries. They're fleeing violence, and 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 they are trying to get to safety, and they have a right to do that. And so there there are people who will be sympathetic to that and say that we need to have a humane system. All right, everybody, stand by because up next we're going to talk about President Biden rolling the dice in Vegas after a South Carolina landslide moves him toward a likely Trump rematch. We're live on the trail after a quick break. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden is spending his second day in Las Vegas ahead of Tuesday's primary. Nevada just so happens to be a hotly contested battleground state. Also in November in the general election, CNN's Priscilla Alvarez is in Sin City. Priscilla? Well, President Biden brought that general election argument here to Nevada just last night, a state that, as you noted, is a highly contested one. It's one that he only narrowly won in 2020 and is going to be important come November, especially as polls show a close contest nationally between the president and his Republican opponent. Now, last night, what he did was essentially call former President Donald Trump a loser again and draw a sharp contrast between his policies and that of President Biden, trying to also make that resonate with the voters in the state. And in an interesting moment, he also recognized the frustration that we know has played out behind the scene with President, uh, with President Biden and his officials of voters not yet feeling all the benefits of his accomplishments. Take a listen. I know, we know, we have a lot more to do. Not, ev- not everyone's feeling the benefits of our investments and progress yet. But inflation is now lower in America than any other major economy in the world. In the world. 
Notably, he did not mention that border security package that was released only hours before he took the stage. But in talking to groups here on the ground, it's the state of the economy that they are thinking about. This, of course, is a state that was hit hard by the pandemic, especially the hospitality workers. And the president's pro-union message really resonates with folks here on the ground. And they're feeling pretty good about where the economy is headed and the conversations that I've had. But I will also tell you, Dana, I'm talking to campaign officials over the weekend. They're feeling pretty good going into February after last month, where they had the highest number of grassroots donations in January, beating both December and November. So all of this, though, uh, the big question is whether it translates to the ballot box in the months to come. Yeah, it sure is. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate it, uh, Priscilla. And of course, culinary uh, workers are the voting block uh, for Democrats, particularly in the uh, highest demographic demographic area. It's clearly Monday after a long weekend <laughs> <laughs> in Las Vegas. It has been really interesting to see how the Biden campaign has been using effectively non-competitive primaries as a testing ground to shore up the key voting blocks in the constituencies that led to his victory in November of 2020. First, we saw South Carolina, which he won by 96% uh, on Saturday night. And then where you have African-Americans as a huge block there. And now you are seeing uh, what he's doing with regard to the Latino vote and also the uh, union vote, key voting blocks in Nevada. I, I think that the message that um, uh, the Biden campaign has been getting and, and the Biden White House has been getting is that they need to get their message out there that there is a huge disconnect when it comes to these very key groups, whether it's black voters, Hispanic voters, and that they need to make sure that there is a message about what the president has done for them, how he has improved the economy. If you want to talk about record low black unemployment, things of that nature. Now, when you start trying to make an, an argument that inflation is lower in the U.S. than any other country, that's probably not the greatest argument because Americans don't care about other countries. They care about this country, right? Yeah. So it's like they don't care that, you know, inflation is lower here than in France. They yeah. want it to be low, period. That's so true. So that's the thing. So they, they have to sharpen the message. Yeah. So let's sort of zero in on union uh, voters and just look at the uh, results from 2020. The uh, Joe Biden got 58 percent of the union vote to Trump's 39%. Non-union, he uh, got 48 to Donald Trump's 50. Now, Joe Biden won Nevada last time around. Union voters make up just 19% of the electorate, at least did back in 2020. But again, it is still a very big part of his coalition. And it's not just in Nevada. We saw him go to Michigan last week. And let me just show you uh, what, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, Michigan 14, Nevada 14, Pennsylvania 14. They might look like low numbers, but when you look at the overall sort of electorate and who goes out to votes, vote and who gets jazzed, it matters a lot for Joe Biden. Yes, and it matters especially what who unions are talking to. They're talking to the rank and file. They are saying, no matter what you've heard, this is what Joe Biden did for us. In, in Nevada, it's very clear what the culinary union is going to argue. If you're in, in a UAW member in Michigan, maybe you, you and your circle of friends don't hear many, many good things about uh, Joe Biden. Look at Sean Fain's speech. You're going to hear that again and again. There is going to be a substantive difference between the way that uh, Donald Trump is going to pursue labor policy. I mean, their lawsuit right now should to blow up the NLRB. There are appointments he can make to change the LRB. It's little, little more complicated arguments that, that these unions are going to make to their membership saying whatever noise is out there, whatever you see on TV about immigration or guns or whatever it 
it is, you need to trust Joe Biden to put policies in place that are going to make your family better off. And then, of course, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, the economic contrast that they have to make with Trump is going to be significant, too, because polls are showing that Trump is leading with against Biden in the head to head over the economy. And of course, Mm -hmm. we know the economy year in, year out, every election cycle that is a driving issue here. And there has been an effort by the Republicans, probably successful in changing the mind of how Trump handled the economy. You know, the COVID, we remember how the economy essentially collapsed in his, his last year's handling of that. That could be a line, a potent line of attack for the Biden team that they probably Democrats would say have not embraced enough. But, and it's so basic, just being out in, in New Hampshire and, and Iowa, um, when I say it's basic, what I heard from so many voters was, I had things cost less when Trump was in office. I had more money in my bank account. It is obviously so much more complicated than that. COVID is one example. Uh, But if that's how people feel, turning that around is difficult. It is really difficult. And it's difficult, like, when you go to the grocery store or out to eat or whatever, and things just cost (laughs) way more. Like, it's hard. That is something that people feel on a visceral level, and it's hard to message your way out of that. And we just haven't had inflation in this country for a very long time. If you're the Biden team, like to talk about Ronald Reagan in '84, they like to say factually that people had negative opinions about a bad economy, and then they turned around. But people have been living with inflation in 1984 about for about a decade or so. They remember what it was like. They remember it going down. You just said it. People remember. I didn't have to worry about these prices when Donald Trump was president. And that's the end of the conversation for yeah. a lot of voters. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Stand by. The U.S. is retaliating. At least we saw it over the weekend on targets in the Middle East and says that there's more to come. We're going to go live to the region where the Secretary of State just touched down. Stay with us. Now to a special election with national implications. Early voting is underway in New York in the race to replace George Santos, who, of course, was expelled from Congress. Manu Raju is here. And Manu, you were just on the ground in Queens and Long Island. What are your takeaways from being on the trail? Yeah, this is a tough race for Democrats to take back this seat. Remember, Joe Biden carried this district by eight points in 2020. George Santos was expelled. The Republicans seemed divided at that point. They named Tom Suozzi as their nominee. He's an experienced politician, former member from that same district. It's been redistricted a bit, but still, he is very well known. Not Mozzie Pillup, his Republican opponent, but still there are concerns that he may not win this seat because he is getting hammered on the issue of immigration in particular. And Swazi was very blunt about the issues. He said the Democratic brand is the issue in his district. Hmm. Why is the Democratic brand in trouble here? You know, we have a problem with crime in New York City or had a problem with crime in New York City. It was very effectively weaponized by the Republicans. Uh, immigration's become a very hot-button issue here. Well, they're not only just trying to t- tie me to Joe Biden, they're trying to tie me to the squad. He's a far lefty. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous. Joe Biden is underwater here in my district, but so is uh, Donald Trump. They're both very, very unpopular uh, candidates. I don't think it would be helpful, just as I don't think Donald Trump would be helpful to my opponent. And this race is really very local. Mm-hmm. It's Swazi versus Mazi. You know, the question, too, is how to exactly go after Mozzie Pillup. There's actually been a debate within the Democratic Party. It's to caused some frustration among Swazi allies because the Democratic the campaign committee called her a MAGA extremist in one of their first campaign ads. He does not view it that way. He says the better way to attack her is about her just simply not being a blank slate on some of the key well, issues. Well, let's, yeah, because... Uh people might not realize this, she is a very interesting person. She's a political newcomer. She is actually a registered Democrat. 
Yeah, that's right. And that's actually one of the issues here as well. And a lot of questions about where she stands on some of the key issues and where she stands about Trump and whether she voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020. You haven't said if you voted for the former President Trump in 2016 and 2020. Why not? See, it happened three years ago. I wasn't even elected officials. I'm trying to focus on this, and I'm going to try to focus on November 2024 election. Mm -hmm. Of course, he's welcome to help me. If if he can come to help me, I will appreciate that. He did good things for America, and I will support him. But if he's convicted, would you still support him? Again, I said, I don't want to answer on that even if he Mm -hmm. was great. President, he did great things. Do you consider yourself a MAGA Republican? You know, I don't know what MAGA Republican. I can tell you all I care is common sense government. The politics of it are so interesting. Again, I mentioned her background is also fascinating. I mean, she she was not obviously born here. She served in the IDF in Israel. Uh, This is entirely about George Santos Mm -hmm. being expelled. That's why this is happening. You did speak to Santos himself. Yeah, that's right. And he made very clear that he is not supporting her because she's not that it may matter in a district where he's uh, obviously been expelled and uh, is a disgraced former congressman. But he made clear that he does not is not happy about the turn of events and does not think that she should be elected. Are you going to support her in this race? So I've made it very clear I'm not voting in the race for the simple fact that I will not bring myself to vote for a registered Democrat, period. Not not in this time and in the time that we're living in. It's just against what I believe in as far as politics go. And I also asked him, of course, about his own legal problems, Dana. He's, of course, facing federal charges. There's talks about him taking a plea deal in all of this. And I asked him if he's going to accept a plea deal. Would he try to do that to try to stay out of jail? He sidestepped that question, said those talks are ongoing. So we'll see. So maybe he's admitting guilt after denying all these issues that cost him his seat and caused a special election. I mean... Is it possible that him saying he's not going to vote for the Republican in the race could help the Republican in that <laughs> race? Maybe it doesn't help Tom Swazi. <laughs> no, exactly. Thanks. Great reporting as always. Thanks hey, for coming on. Thanks, Dana. And thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 